Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Heavenly Father, we are before you this morning to worship you. Thank you for these hymns that we've just sung doing just that, Lord. We also pray for the remainder of our time as we open your word here in the Gospel of John. I pray that we allow your Holy Spirit to reveal your truth, to convict us in a way that encourages us, that pushes us, that provokes us towards you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sorry to be the one to burst your bubble here, but we, we are not going to be shopping with Colleen this morning. I know some of you are maybe a little bit disappointed that we are not shopping with Colleen. And no, you cannot purchase the Beakman 1802 Happy Place 240 soap. It's actually quite clear that the Home Shopping Network can really market some doozies. HSN knows the value of marketing in order to sell a particular item. Most of us have seen this on TV for years, but how about Amazon present day? Have you ever noticed when you go to Amazon to order something, it says something like free delivery tomorrow if you order within the next three hours and 14 minutes? Even this HSN screen that you're seeing right now is quite similar. Look at the bottom right-hand corner. What does it say? 908 left, and you have to order within the next one minute and 52 seconds. See, good marketing creates this sense of urgency. We hear all types of things when things are being marketed to us. We hear things like, last chance, or we'll hear, hurry now, or how about ends tomorrow, or it's not too late. Now, just imagine how many people actually bought the Beakman 1802 Happy Place 240 Load Goat Milk Laundry Soap just because they felt the created sense of urgency. Now, allow me to share something that Jesus says in our text today. Jesus says this, for a little while longer, I am going to be with you, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. This brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The title is, Act Now Before It's Too Late. Act Now Before It's Too Late. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, as we've already stated. We're going to be in chapter 7, looking at verses 25 through 36. I know we're having some te technical difficulties right now with the screen, so if you need to restart the program, feel free to go ahead and do that. We can get caught up, but there we go. These verses will be on the screen. We can't forget that last week we were encouraged to allow God's law to provoke us toward faith in the Messiah. That's what we saw last week. We witnessed Jesus rebuke the Jewish leaders for creating new laws based off of the law. This is actually called legalism, the act of declaring oneself righteous due to their own work, all of which negates one's need 
of a Savior. Today, Jesus will masterfully market salvation. He will reveal the sense of urgency of all of humanity, this urgency which all of humanity should actually be experiencing, urgency that requires a response to Him in faith before it's too late. So let's go ahead and get into our text this morning. We're looking at John chapter 7, verses 25 through 26. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is this man not the one whom they are seeking to kill? And yet, look, he is speaking publicly and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I do know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, and yet no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, When the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has done, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering these things about him, and the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Therefore Jesus said, For a little while longer I am going to be with you, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that he will not find him? He does not intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? What is the statement that he said, you will seek me and will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Amen. As we look to formulate a sentence to put these verses into one simple main idea, it looks just like this. Salvation through Jesus is for a limited time only. Salvation through Jesus is for a limited time time only. So as we begin right here in verses 25 through 27, and after hearing Jesus rebuke the Jewish leaders as we just witnessed as this text was read aloud, Jesus rebuked them due to their hypocrisy with regards to the law which we covered last week. Remember that legalism that they were participating in? Where they were creating new laws based off of the law. They created these new laws of things that they knew that they could do in order to justify their own righteousness before God, because when they looked at the actual law, when they looked at the Ten Commandments, they realized that they couldn't keep them. But the whole point of the Ten Commandments was to reveal that we can't keep them anyway, because we know from the good news, we know from what Scripture teaches us, that if you break one, you break them all. Now, the people of Jerusalem are now freely talking about the Jewish leaders desire to kill him. All of a sudden, they're ready to be open and honest about who this Jesus is, and they wanted to mention his name because last week we know they didn't want to mention his name because they were fearful of the Jewish leaders. But we need to remember that that's what happened last week when we went over 
chapter 7, verses 14 through 24. The Jewish people were in fact afraid to speak openly, but now they are not. They are now confident to ask. And what do they ask? They say, is this man not the one whom they are seeking to kill? And then, on into verse 26, they question the Jewish leaders. And they question their ability to identify Jesus as the man which they've actually marked for execution. Brothers and sisters, do you recognize what this is actually telling us? Jesus' message about the law, Jesus' rebuke of the Jewish leaders was actually starting to resonate with some. And quite clearly, judging from verse 27, Jesus' overall message up until this point in the Gospel of John had not resonated with everyone. Many had heard the Gospel. He had that large crowd that was following Him. But the actual message of salvation... The actual message of Jesus declaring who He is, His personhood, that He is God in human form, hadn't resonated with many. It had resonated with few. But now we're starting to see a few more fall into the ranks. But nevertheless, it's resonating with some of the people of Jerusalem. And that's how we're starting off right here this morning. For those of you who still do not believe, or for those who still not believe right here in the text, really what they're saying and what we hear people say today, but particularly here in the text, they're saying, this man is from Nazareth. That's what they're saying. We've seen what he's been doing, but he's from Nazareth. But when it comes, or but when the Christ comes, they say, no one knows where he's from. Well, they thought Jesus was from Nazareth. We know that Jesus is actually not from Nazareth. Because Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. Now, he may have been raised in Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem. But make no mistake about that birthplace and where Jesus is truly from. And as we're going to see today, there's scripture that predicted his birth. Now, the people of Jerusalem were confused about two Old Testament passages that actually do just that. We're going to look at Malachi 3.1 and we're going to look at Micah 5.2. First, Malachi 3.1. Behold, I am sending my messenger and he will clear a way before me and the Lord whom you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. See, they believed that the Messiah would be an unknown entity until he suddenly appeared in the temple. That's what they thought. Now in Micah 5.2 it says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will come forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. See, it's clear that the people of Jerusalem understood where Messiah would be from. That is abundantly clear. It's just that they got it wrong to where Jesus was actually from. Jesus was from the actual place they were expecting their Messiah to come from. But they thought he was from Nazareth. Now as we move on to verse 28, Jesus cried out. He cried out refuting their claim. Now take note of the irony that we're about ready to witness here. Jesus highlights a great dose of irony. He said, you both know me and you know where I am from. But they did 
not know the one whom had actually sent Jesus. That is the irony. In fact, since Jesus is God and God sent Jesus, ironically, Jesus called them out for not knowing him. Again, Jesus is not only rebuking the Jewish leaders, but he is rebuking the people of Jerusalem as well. Think about how devastating this indictment would have been, especially to those Jewish leaders. This is a devastating indictment from our Lord and Savior Jesus. Your life's work as a Jewish leader centered around the Word of God. You studied the Word of God. You knew the Word of God. Yet the Messiah, the Savior, He comes and He reveals that it's been all for nothing. Because what did they do after all? What did we see? Oh, that's right. They took what they knew of God's Word and added to it by creating laws to go on top of the law. They participated in legalism so they could make themselves righteous based upon the work in which they were doing. And when we do that, when we think we're righteous because of our own work, we don't need a Messiah either. But we all actually need a Messiah. We all need Jesus. The Jewish leader's knowledge of God and not actually knowing him was actually prophesied in Jeremiah 2, verse 8. God's word tells us this. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. See, that's what I love about the Bible. Everything. Everything correlates. Everything coincides. Every verse is interconnected. Every path leads to Jesus. This is a prophecy that actually was fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, allow for this to be a warning for all of us. Don't just sit here today and think we're talking about the Jewish leaders. Don't just sit here today and think we're talking about the people of Jerusalem. Allow this to be a warning for all of us. We must not merely just have a knowledge of Jesus as Messiah. We must know Him as Messiah. And up until this point in the Gospel of John, as we're going verse by verse, we've realized that Jesus has made it abundantly clear that His personhood is Him as God in human form. To be a Christian is to simply be in a personal, individual relationship with Him. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not about you and your pastor and then Jesus. It's not about you and your mom because she was a Christian and she was the one that prayed for you or always quoted Scripture to you. And then Jesus, no, it's your personal, individual relationship with Jesus. Now, you could take that a step further because we mentioned earlier that Pastor Steve and Miss Hallie are celebrating 50 years on Saturday. The only time that another individual is quasi-involved in that relationship is when you're married, but it's not another person at that point because the two become one flesh. 
And there's a reason for that because you enter the kingdom together. That's the reason why Scripture is very clear that two believers should be married and you should never be a believer marrying a non-believer. But that's not to say that two unbelievers couldn't get married and then come to a saving faith together. It's your personal, individual relationship with Jesus. To be a Christian is to be intimate with God. So as we look here at verse 30, we recognize that Jesus' hour had not yet come. And we saw some of that over the last few weeks. And that actually harkens back to John 7, 6, when we first saw that. And this is where Jesus said himself, my time is not yet here. As we've seen and will continue to witness, Jesus operates according to God's sovereign timetable. Even though he's God in human form, he's limited himself as man, and he has been obedient to the sovereign decision-making, the sovereign timetable of the Lord. Jesus operates according to that. And the execution and sacrifice of Jesus that's going to take place, that has yet to take place here in this account in the Gospel of John, will come down to the exact hour, the exact minute, down to the exact second as chosen by God. Previously, I mentioned that Jesus' overall message up until this point in the Gospel had not resonated with everyone, but it's starting to resonate with some people. However, what does it say? Many of the crowd believed in him. And that's where that comes from. Which makes their question in verse 31 actually a rhetorical question. What do they say? They ask, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has done, will he? See, they knew the Messiah would perform miracles. So what makes this question rhetorical is the fact that they asked, he will not perform more signs. One minute, they're fearful to mention his name because they were scared of what the Jewish leaders would do. And then the next minute, they're listening to and accepting the message of Jesus, the actual Messiah, while simultaneously acknowledging His miraculous work. There was no denying that the miracles up until this point that Jesus had performed couldn't be performed by any man, any prophet. They knew that nobody else would be able to come and do anything greater than what Jesus had already did. And as we recognize in verse 32, the Pharisees were not pleased. They didn't like this. Now, not only were the Pharisees not pleased, but the chief priests, which were actually the Sadducees, they weren't pleased either. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were actually nemesis. They came from two different schools of thought. Now, we see this today, but let me explain the two school of thoughts that they came from, which actually we see today, just have different names and terminology to throw behind it. But see, the Pharisees believed in free will plus God's sovereignty. Whereas the chief priests, the Sadducees, believed in complete free will. Now, we see something a little bit different today. We have what would be a Calvinist, and then we have what would be an Arminian. A Calvinist would believe completely in God's sovereignty. There's no free will whatsoever. God has already chosen, or chosen, God has already elected those who are going to be saved. 
And then you have Arminians who would say, no, it's completely free will. And even Catholicism would fall into that category too. Now, I'm going to say this this morning because when I look at the text, and the reason why I can't be a full-blown Calvinist, definitely not going to be an Arminian. Because Arminians also believe that you can lose your salvation. I don't believe that the Bible teaches us that we can lose our salvation. But the reason why I can't be a full-blown Calvinist is because I believe when you read the biblical account, there are times when God actually chooses to save somebody, and then there are times where we are led to believe it's free will on that individual to come to a saving faith in Jesus. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, as long as somebody doesn't think that they did something to earn their salvation, I'm okay with that. It's the minute that they think that they did something to earn their salvation, then we're going to have some problems. As long as we always err on God's sovereignty and the person and work of Jesus to secure our salvation, then we're okay. So really, what we're seeing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees is no different than what we see today with the Calvinists and the Arminians. Again, what did we say at the outset before we started this morning, before we even started this sermon? Solomon said there's nothing new underneath the sun. Now, what's important was actually their shared hatred of Jesus, because that's what we're seeing right here. They were willing to put their differences aside, theologically speaking, in order to conspire together to what? As it says right here, arrest him. Let's not forget what Jesus said in John 7, 7 from a few weeks ago. He said this, the world hates me because I testify it that its deeds are evil. Now, verses 33 and 34 is where we begin to witness Jesus masterfully market a sense of urgency. What does he say? For a little while longer I am going to be with you, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am, this is the important part, where I am, you cannot come. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but this statement by our Lord and Savior creates a greater sense of urgency than free delivery tomorrow if you order within the next three hours and 14 minutes. Only 908, what was it, Beekman, 1802, Happy Place, 240, load goat milk, laundry soap, order within the next one minute and 52 seconds and you can secure your order. What is load goat? Laundry, milk, whatever it is anyway. Amazingly, though, the world will reject Jesus, because that's what we see. The world will reject Jesus, but yet succumb to an impulse to purchase because marketing created a false sense of urgency. And let's not fool ourselves. I think it's safe to say that at some point in time, we have succumbed to marketing that has made it feel like if we don't buy this now, or if we don't buy into what's being said now, then it's going to be too late. See, just a few short months after this statement by Jesus, he went to the feast of Passover to be crucified, to be buried, and resurrected from the dead. Anyone who rejects Jesus as their Messiah will die due to their sin. Guaranteed. 
Anyone who rejects Jesus will not receive bodily resurrection. Anyone who rejects Jesus, therefore, will not see the kingdom of God. Jesus is not only telling the people of Jerusalem here, the Pharisees, the chief priests, but us alike. And what he's saying is this, act now before it's too late. So go ahead, go for it. Go shopping with with Colleen. Just remember, anything you buy from this world is not going to last anyway. And we're not just talking about material goods. We're also talking about the lies about who Jesus is and Him being the only way to the Father. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and end. He alone is our only source for eternal life. And we recognize that despite this, in verse 35, all of this is from Messiah himself. See, right here in verse 35, the Jews chose to reject him. Really what they're saying is this in their rejection. Of course he's worthy of rejection. How is he going to hide from us? What does he think he's going to do? Go share the same message with the Greeks? See, if the Pharisees and Sadducees were nemesis, yet still Jewish, what do you think all Jews thought about this? What do you think all Jews thought about non-Jews? We know what their leaders think about non-Jews, so that means that the leadership thought that way, then the other Jews felt the same way about those who weren't Jewish. This was actually God's plan all along. God's plan all along was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. This is a revelation right here of Jewish blindness and rejection. Now, we understand this to be true from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, verses 7 through 11, where the Apostle Paul writes, What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see, not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and retribution to them. May their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their back continually. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Far from it. But by their wrongdoing, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them Jealous. See, as we go back to verse 36 here, the Jews end by mocking Jesus. That's how we end this section. Basically, they're repeating his statement in a condescending fashion. I believe that it's obvious at this point the Jews completely misunderstood Jesus. Completely. 
which is showcased through their hesitation to heed the words of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let's not make the same mistake. Act now before it's too late. And as Joe comes up, this is precisely the same exact warning Isaiah gave some 700 years prior to Jesus and the Jews here. Isaiah 55, 6 states this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Again, it's that personal, individual, intimate relationship with the Lord. That opportunity is now to have that. He is near. You're hearing the gospel being proclaimed this morning. He is near. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is not a false sense of urgency. We can leave that up to the home shopping networks and Amazons of the world to create that false sense of nonsense for us. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Act now before it's too late. After all, there's not 908 left. There's only one left. And the one that's left is you. So how does one actually act now? How do you act now? It's simple. Know in your heart that you are sinful. Know in your heart that you're sinful. And know in your heart that you need Jesus as your Savior. And when you know in your heart that you're sinful, and when you know that you need Jesus as your Savior, you know that you need to turn away from your sin and turn towards Jesus. Now, for those of you that already know the Lord, for those of you that are already in that personal, intimate relationship with Him, if you can just share that with somebody who doesn't, that's it. That's it. It is that simple. Know in your heart that you're sinful and know that you need a Savior and turn from your sin and turn back to the Lord. Even if you can just share that with somebody, by the way in which you conduct your life, by the words that you share about the gospel, you are sharing salvation with others. And when you do so, you're helping somebody act now, whether it's yourself or somebody else, before it's too late, which is why this morning our main idea stated this. Salvation through Jesus is for a limited time only. So before we close this morning, I just want to go ahead and ask Pastor Steve to come back up. And I want to have Pastor Steve close us out, and I'm going to ask Joe to play Blessed Assurance again. And I just want to focus in on the lyrics of this song and appreciate what the Lord has done for us through the person and work of Jesus. Uh, let's stand together as we sing, and uh, we will be dismissed after his blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. 
Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, ring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.